0: to um, have a look at the last of our feasts it's been quite an epic journey over the last eight weeks and uh, my prayer is that you've been able to gain some insight uh, which has strengthened your faith and um, just encouraged you in your faith and in what God um, is doing in your life and as we continue to look even at this last feast um, I know that Holy Spirit can do something wonderful in your heart just to inspire you um, in that so I praise God for the ability to um, have uh, done this series. And um, all these are available, by the way. Um, all the audios are available on our uh, Facebook page. Um, if you want copies of the, uh, the study guides, uh, they're available. Just come and see us. Um, that, uh, you, if you've been part of a grow group, you would have um, received all those studies. And um, even in our grow groups, we've been hearing good stories of people just being encouraged um, in, in their faith and what they've been um, able to, to see in the word. So Leviticus 23, it's where we find the seven feasts. Um, four of them, as was alluded to this morning in worship, have been um, fulfilled by Christ in his first coming. And the last three, n- known as the, uh, the spring feasts, are coming when, uh, and will be fulfilled when Jesus returns uh, to earth one day. Uh, when is that day? Well, it's a day closer today than it was yesterday. And that's about all, the, all I'm going to say, okay, and as far as trying to determine when he comes back. But he is coming back, amen? He is coming back. It's as assured as, um, you know, the sun will rise every morning. Um, we know that Christ will come back. And um, that is a great great day to look forward to and so we know that you know the feasts are a divine appointment they're a divine appointment um, at, a, at a an appointed time and it's not just a random time God has actually appointed the time when these feasts are to uh, to be celebrated and it just goes to show that God's not a random or a chaotic God he just doesn't you know, think up these things, uh, you know, just, oh, okay, this sounds like a good idea. I'm going to do this to the world today, you know. And um, sometimes it can all seem a bit random, but God has every, every step marked out. And, and that sort of builds faith in me because I know in my life, God has each step ordered. The, 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 the Psalms say that, don't they? That the, the steps of a righteous man, the steps of a righteous woman are ordered by the Lord. And we know that he has each step set down, planned out. And again, that gives us a surety in faith that nothing about our life is random. You know, We often think, well, we make the choices. Yes, we do. But nothing comes as a surprise to God. And even in the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the last of the seven feasts, Tabernacles basically is a, an old english word we don't use that word very often these days but it's basically a temporary shelter like a tent you know or you know if you're going to day camp you're going to build gunyas you know which are just um uh, shelters made out of sticks and branches and all those sort of things and so that's what a tabernacle is though we first see this in the old testament in, in when the israelites were wandering through the desert they were just building temporary shelters It wasn't a permanent place of residency. And so even as we study this, you'll see how the Feast of Tabernacles celebrated a historical past but also points to a prophetic future. And so um, Tabernacles, Leviticus 23, 33. You there? Cool. Good, we're following it along. And it's up on the screen if you haven't got your Bible. Um, The Lord said to Moses... Say to the Israelites, on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, the Lord's Feast of Tabernacles begins, and it lasts for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly, do no regular work. For seven days, present offerings made to the Lord by fire. And on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present an offering made to the Lord by fire. It is a closing assembly, do no regular work. Verse 37 These are the Lord's appointed feasts, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies for bringing offerings made to the Lord by fire, the burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings required for each day. These offerings are in addition to those of the Lord's Sabbath, and in addition to your gifts and whatever you have vowed, and all the free will offerings you give to the Lord. So, beginning on the 15th day of the seventh month, after you have gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of rest and the eighth is also a day of rest. On the first day you are to take choice fruit from the trees, the palm fronds, leafy branches and poplars and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this is as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come, celebrate it in the seventh month, live in booths for seven days, or tabernacles or tents, okay? All native-born Israelites are to live in booths. So your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Quite a chunky piece of, of, of instruction there uh, to do with the Feast of Tabernacles. But we see that, Um, the Feast of Trumpets was on the first day of the seventh month. Then there was a 10-day period called the Days of War. We remember all this from the last few weeks, don't we? And then on the 10th day of the seventh month, we had the Feast of Atonement. Cool. And then five days after that, on the 15th day, we have the Feast of Tabernacles. And so all these feasts are grouped together. They're not really... You know, over 15 days we have three feasts, okay? Whoever, you know, believes that God, you know, doesn't like celebrating and festivals just needs to read this piece of Scripture. He likes parties, doesn't he? He likes celebrations. He likes festivities. And, you know, this Feast of Tabernacles is the last and it is actually the greatest, most joyous feast of all seven. I mean, this thing rocked. It... it it was just the best time of the year to be alive, all right? It actually became known as the feast, the feast. And, you know, it just means that this was the one. This was the one you looked look forward to every year. This was the big one, friends. It was the third time that, and the final time for that year that um, each person had to go to Jerusalem, okay, and, and come before the Lord Uh, The first time was in Passover. The second time was at Pentecost. And now at Tabernacles, every person, every able-bodied person had to make their way to Jerusalem to offer their sacrifices and offerings. And so it brought to an end the the seven feasts. It was a great celebration for a number of reasons. As you um, heard in those scriptures, it was after they gathered all the crops in from the fields okay so it's basically concluding the year's harvest for that year and you know at passover which was in the autumn that's when they they, they sowed their crops okay and when they prepared their crops uh for that year um, we see that at pentecost was when all the the grains were gathered in okay all the cereals uh your barley and your wheat and all that sort of stuff um and 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 so you know that was a great time you knew you then had bread for the for the next 12 months so that was pretty pretty awesome but at at tabernacles it was actually the end of the whole fe- uh, the whole harvest so all your olives were harvested all your grapes were harvested um you know everything was finished that was it for the year and now no more work let's party and that was it. Tabernacles was just a time of celebration. They were just coming before the Lord in thankfulness and they were just happy that the Lord had provided for them for another year. In Exodus 23:16 it actually refers to this feast also as the feast of ingathering. So that if you see in the Bible the feast of ingathering, you actually it is the same feast as the feast of tabernacles. And so, you know, it was great cause for celebration. It was a great occasion. Families came together from all parts and just spent the week together. There were street parties. I mean, you just have to imagine this thing. Imagine the greatest celebration um, that you've seen. And, um, you know, just in a, in a righteous way, just imagine that Jerusalem was like this at that time. It was like this at that time. They were glad, and they came before the Lord, and they celebrated. And they literally, by God's command, had to build for themselves temporary shelters and live in them for that week. Okay, so they moved out of their homes, and whether it was in the the front of their house or somewhere else, they just built temporary shelters. So I'm not quite sure what they built them out of, I suppose, you know, branches and um, I don't think they had corrugated iron back then, did they? No, I don't think so. But, you know, just anything they could find, and, and they made temporary shelters, and they lived in them, just so that they could remember what the Lord had done for them in the Exodus as they were coming out of Egypt, being thankful for being freed from slavery, and so it brought to remembrance that, so they could pass on that story from generation to generation. Okay? So it was a celebration of the past but it also pointed to the future. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. And so you've got all these visitors coming into town. Um, you know, they were in the, see, uh, the streets. All these booths and tabernacles were popping up in the streets. Um, they were popping up in the paddocks that had just been uh, laying fallow after the harvest. And, um, yeah, I, I, I can just imagine the great festivities that was going on. As you can see, God commanded celebration. God commanded celebration. Who'd ever think that God would have to command celebration? And if you weren't celebrating, if you weren't joyous, if you weren't thankful, you're actually disobedient to the (laughs) Word of God. And that challenges us in our faith at times because at times... We often let life get us down, don't we? We let circumstances get on top of us and, you know, we can just sit and have a pity party and think, God, why are you doing these things to me? But really, God commands us to be joyful. God commands us to focus on what He has done for us and not dwell on those things that you feel that you haven't got. It is actually sinful and lustful to want the things that God has not given us. You look at Eve in the Garden of Eden. What's the one thing that caught her eye? What was the one thing that she desired? It was the one thing she could not have and it led her to sin. And we need to be mindful and just remember, even in the the festival and the Feast of Tabernacles and all the other feasts, to be thankful for what we do have. And I've got to tell you, we have great cause to be thankful. Amen? Great cause to be thankful. And, you know, I know time gets tough and life gets tough and stuff happens and, you know, and, you know we think we can justify just sitting there and think, well, as me. But, my friends, in those times, lift your head up high. Lift your head up. Okay, don't bow down. Lift your head up and see what God has given for you. Take choice fruit from the trees. Okay? Not the ones full of fruit fly. Not the ones ma- are marked and, you know, half rotten. Take the choice ones, the best. Take the palm fronds, the leafy branches, the poplars and rejoice. Before the Lord for seven days, seven days a party. Who wants to be there? I know Jamie does, right? You'd love it there, man. It'd be going off. I tell you, it'd be just good. Celebrate, rejoice are all the words that are used in this scripture, and do it for seven days. It is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. I mean just imagine it if it was happening in these days you'd have DJs set up you'd have the you know the ice cream van going up and down you know with that silly music that it plays and all this sort of stuff um, just music going off yeah you get the picture don't you but it was all to honor god it was all to honor god Leviticus 23:40 40 and 43 shows us the historical aspect of this Uh, Feast, but it also points to the future. You see, it says that all native-born Israelites are to live in booths. And so so, uh, your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so it was a time that remembered a past in their history when they were journeying through the desert. You've heard of the word sojourning. Sojourning just means um, wandering through. Now, passing through the, the desert. We find that in the book of Exodus, if you want to read that story there. And for us, this has great meaning. If we want to look at it, how does this apply to our life? Then we need to know that we are on a journey right now ourselves, aren't we? We are sojourning through this, this thing called life. And how many years have we got? Only God knows. Some have very short time. Some have a lot of time to walk this life here on earth. And so we need to know that we are on a journey and that our time here on earth is only temporary. We're not here permanently, okay? And we need to understand that this body that we have is only a temporary shelter because it returns to the dust one day. We actually take it off. Well, not we, but we are removed from this body when our time here is done. 2 Corinthians 5.1 points to this. And Paul says, For we know that when this, this earthly tent, okay, the King James says tabernacle, when this earthly tabernacle we live in is taken down, when we die and leave these bodies, we will have a home in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. So this is only temporary, guys. There's something to rejoice in. Okay, if you didn't quite want the body you got, if you're looking for something a bit better, that's okay. It's coming one day. All right? Rejoice in that and know that God has a great future for you and that this planet is not our eternal home again we're just passing through philippians 3 20 paul again says our citizenship is where in where is it heaven our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the lord jesus christ It is pointing to the day he comes back and reclaim his people. We eagerly await. Are you eagerly awaiting the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior? Yeah? Come on. We've got to be a bit more enthusiastic than that. That we are awaiting eagerly our Lord Jesus Christ. There's another aspect of this that we need to look at again today. And that's that this feast also represents a time when the nation of Israel will come face to face with their Messiah and that he will liberate them from their enemies. You remember when Jesus um, rode into Jerusalem, okay? You all know that story, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Okay, What, what were the people doing? What were they doing? Come on, work with me here. They were celebrating, weren't they? What were they doing? They were laying out their, their coats. What were they waving? Palm branches. Okay. And they were shouting out, "Hallelujah! Hosanna. Hosanna. Hosanna to the King of Kings. Hosanna means... I beg you to save me. Hosanna means please deliver us. And this is what they were saying to Jesus as he rode in. That the Jews recognized at that point that Jesus, and they were hoping he was the Messiah. And they were shouting out to him, please save us. Because that's what they were expecting the Messiah to do, to liberate them from that the cruel roman empire and the tyranny of the roman caesars they were saying jesus save us they were acknowledging jesus as their messiah and rightly so and if we remember back to the feast of tabernacles it was prophetically telling the israelites that when your king when your messiah shows up you celebrate you celebrate what's it say in verse 40 take choice fruit take palm fronds leafy branches what were these guys doing they were waving their palms they were waving their leafy branches before the king of kings it was their hope that this man who they saw on a donkey was the actual messiah that they had hoped would come their declaration was right But in fact, their timing was a bit wrong. And that's why many Jews had trouble understanding. Hang on a sec. If you're the Messiah, you can't die. What do you mean you're going to the... You can't be crucified. What's going on here? You're the Messiah. You're the hero here of the story. The heroes don't die, do they? Who's ever watched an action movie, a superhero movie? The heroes don't die. They always win. They always free the damsel in distress. They always free the, the, you know, the innocents from, from, from the, the tyrants. They don't die. And yet Jesus here was saying, hey, guys, I'm going to the cross. And they just thought, okay, hang on, this doesn't match up. We know the Messiah is coming to liberate us. But if you're going to die, then you mustn't be him. We've talked about this a couple of times over the the last few weeks. It's why Judas tried to provoke Jesus into military action by betraying him. It's why the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law were standing at the cross and saying, You're the king, are you? Well, you come down. Save yourself and save us and we'll believe you. They were looking for a liberator. They didn't quite understand that first he had to defeat the enemy through the shedding of his blood. Now just let me quickly finish off this morning but also the series As we look at two more things. Not only in the Feast of Tabernacles, but in the entirety of Jesus Christ himself. And it all starts in the festivities of Tabernacles. And traditionally, what happened at Tabernacles over those seven days, over those days of great feasts and festivities and celebrations was that there's two things happened. The first was in the morning. There was always, every morning for seven days, there was a sacrificial pouring out of water. Okay? And so the high priest would take a jar and they would walk down to the pool of Siloam. Okay? You all heard of the pool of Siloam? You, you read about that in the, in the Bible, in the Gospels. They walked through the water gate Okay, so there's a gate in Jerusalem where they used to walk through called the water gate. And it was because of this tradition. And they brought back a wa- the water and they poured it out onto the altar. The whole ceremony from, from when they left to go and collect the water to when they came back with the water and poured it out on the altar was just just Celebration. There was people dancing. There was people playing musical instruments. They were just singing. They were dancing. They were praising. They were having a good time, folks. Okay? And so, what do we do? What do we do when we come before the Lord? You know, somber. Oh, Lord. We should let celebration rise in our hearts. We should let joy rise in our hearts. You know, not just when when we're singing, not just when we're praising, but every day of our life, there should be joy and celebration in our hearts. Not only was there singing and dancing, they were reciting, they were singing the psalms, especially the psalms, the halal psalms. Halal means praise. The praise psalms, which we find in, in Psalm 113 through to 118. Won't you read those Psalms this week? And just see how the Lord speaks to you in those Psalms. And especially as the climax, as they were pouring out the water sacrificially on the altar every morning, they would sing these last verses of Psalm 118. I'm going to speak them, I'm not going to sing them. Okay? But it says in verse 25 through to the end, O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. What were they saying to Jesus as he rode in on the donkey? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see the connection there. Sometimes we think these statements are just random, but they are intrinsically linked with their heritage and with their sense of Messiah. Verse 27, The Lord is God and he has made his light shine upon us with branches in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. I don't know about you, but that stirs me. Remembering, this is what they spoke as Jesus rode into Jerusalem. The second thing that became part of the festival. So the water sacrifice was in the morning. And at night, on the brink of dusk, commentaries say that there was four large lampstands. Huge, huge lamps some say up to 20 meters high that's pretty tall isn't it and on top of these were bowls of oil which some poor sucker had to climb up and light every night okay no he wasn't a sucker it's probably a great privilege a great privilege but it was high so he had to have no sort of fear of heights and they would light these lamps And they would blaze all night in Jerusalem. And can you just imagine these four huge bowls of oil ablaze? What a sight that would have been from the countryside as they were peering out from their tabernacles that night, from their temporary shelters, looking back into the city. What a magnificent sight. A guy called Ken Howard, in his book, The Feast of the Lords, writes this, The light celebration was reminiscent of the descent of the Shekinah glory in Solomon's temple and looked forward to the return of the Shekiah, the divine presence of God in the days of the Messiah. So the lighting of these bowls of oil were their way of saying, We are waiting for you, Lord, to come. We are waiting for you to make your presence here amongst us. And so you had the water in the morning, you had the light at night. Now, guys, come with me to the Gospel of John verse uh, chapter 7. And let's just look at a couple of things right here. John chapter 7 is talking about a time around the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a time of tabernacles. And in verse 1 it says, After this, Jesus stayed in Galilee, going from village to village. He wanted to stay out of Judea, where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Feast of Tabernacles. So we're bringing it into context of a timeline here. The Feast of Tabernacles is happening. In verse 8, Jesus said to his brothers, You go to the feast. I am not yet going to this feast because for me the right time has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the feast, he also went. Not publicly, but in secret. And in verse 14. He says, not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? And then if we go down to verse 37, it says, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And then we jump to chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here Jesus is proclaiming the fulfillment of the festival in himself. Can you see that? You had the water in the morning. And Jesus said, if you're thirsty, then come to me for living water. And you will never thirst again. He's saying, I am the light of the world. You see these lamps? These lamps you look upon each night over this festival? You look at them awaiting the Messiah. You look at them because it's a declaration That the Messiah is the light of the world. I am here, Jesus said. I am the light of the world. If you come to me, you will never again walk in darkness. As Jesus was speaking these words, the meaning was not lost on the crowd he was speaking to. They knew exactly what he was declaring. For seven days, the Jews conducted the water ceremony in the morning and the light ceremony at night. The symbolism was not lost. Jesus was making the declaration, I am water, I am the light. Come to me, you'll never thirst and you'll never walk around in darkness again. What a great invitation, even for us this morning. What a great invitation for any person here this morning who has not made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. Because when you do, even as we we heard in communion this morning, you mightn't fully understand the process of it all. But Jesus will be your foundation through your whole life, through the ups and through the downs. He is the anchor for your soul. He is the rock steady person that will never change. The Feast of Tabernacles. The greatest fulfillment of this feast will come when Jesus again returns to earth. Now I know there's many different views on how this will occur, when this will occur. But let me encourage you You know, we can have our opinions on it, but let's not get caught up in the debate of it. It only leads to confusion, division, disunity, and doesn't glorify God. But just know this Jesus is coming back in His time, not ours. The Feast of Trumpets brings to a close the time of the gentiles it calls together the bride of christ and we will go to meet him as he returns this is what people call the rapture okay even though the bible doesn't use this word specifically but we see it in matthew 24:31. he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and he will gather his elect from the four winds and one from one end of the heavens to the other These are the three feasts that are to come, starting with the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Atonement is when Jesus reveals himself to the nation of Israel, brings them to repentance, and sets his foot on the Mount of Olives. And all will be brought into order. We can read that in Zechariah 14.1. A day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided among you. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it, The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half the mountain moving north and half moving south. We might think that that's just figurative, that I think that that might actually happen, okay? Where we actually see the mountain split. And then the Feast of Tabernacles, which brings us to the conclusion of the feasts and of our series. It is established when Jesus establishes his presence here on earth amongst his people, where he will dwell with us for a thousand years before the final war, and the great white throne and you can read about that in revelation 20 verse 11 then i saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them and i saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and books were open another book was open which is the book of life the dead were judged according to what had been done as recorded in the books the sea gave up the dead that were in it And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, they were thrown into the lake of fire. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. What a day to look forward to. Amen. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away he who was seated on the throne said i make everything new then he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true he said to me it is done i am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end to him who is thirsty I will give to drink with our cost from the spring of water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this. I will be his God and he will be my son. What a beautiful promise. A glorious promise to look forward to. Something we can hold on to. Paul calls it our glorious hope. We don't hope for things that we have not yet. Who hopes for something that they've already got? The glorious hope is not our salvation because we know of that salvation. We know it's sure in our life. If you've come to Jesus Christ, you've made him your Lord and Savior, you are saved by the confession of your mouth and the belief in your heart. The glorious hope is that one day Jesus will come for us and we will reside with him. Amen and this brings us to the conclusion of our series and I suppose if there's anything that we can draw from it the one thing that is repeated time and time again is the fact that Jesus Christ needs to be our saviour because if he isn't I'm afraid eternal separation from God is your destiny and my friends we don't want that And God doesn't want that. He sent his son because he loved the whole world that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. So if that's you this morning, I just want to offer you again that opportunity to come to the Lord. To give your life to him and say, Lord, I am yours. Forgive me of my sins. If that's you this morning, if you feel God, Holy Spirit, just calling on you, then why don't you stand right where you are. Just as a step of faith. Saying, Lord, I'm here and I want to give my life to you. If that's you this morning, then why don't you just stand as we finish off in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you give us. Lord, we offer you our life. We offer you our very self. You are the first in our life and the last in our life. We are complete in you, Lord Jesus, for you have given us all things. And our heart is set before you even right now. And we just love you, Lord. We want to celebrate this time with you. We want to give you thanks for all that you have done in our life. So, Lord, we rejoice, not only in the things that have been done but in the things that will come to pass in the future so lord i pray even this morning as we go from this place that our heart be encouraged and our lives be fulfilled in the name of jesus amen amen turn to the person next to you say be blessed my brother my sister